I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. Uh, I'm Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, and a roundtable usually involves more than one other person, as it always does on this show with these two fine gentlemen, Mike Russo, back after a week off, and you're you're in the Big Apple, right? Yeah, I am. I got uh, thank goodness uh, this is uh, a two game trip that goes to Long Island because. Uh, there was a in which uh, I don't know if Jesse knows this yet. But the entire nation uh, of the United States stopped flying this morning because of a FAA like computer issue, and the entire like everything was grounded nationwide. So uh, I've gotten so many texts already from the Jeremy Rutherfords of the world and friends of mine and referees that are worried about getting to places. Uh, so uh, luckily, uh, I get to take the day in New York City to work, and then uh, I'll drive into Long Island tomorrow. Yeah, you mentioned Jesse, and I'm only going to do this, Jesse, because one, I love you, <laughs> and two, you're, I, you're so, get, like, I feel no, like I was it. about to out him there. but uh, No, I'm going to out him. He is always on time. He's one of the most professional guys to ever work with. We record this. And remember, we have three hosts on three different time zones. And Jesse's always so great. If we have to record early, he gets up early. uh, And we had to wait because somebody slept through his alarm and came right to the microphone now. And is going to do a show while he... And so I'm outing you that you were sleeping like three minutes ago. Are you awake enough to do the show? Yeah, it was about three minutes ago. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, th- that's the context. I, I I I interrupted myself, but I was going to say, Jesse, you wouldn't know this. <laughs> no, <laughs> the guy's why. never late. He's always on time. He's such a professional. So it's it's hilarious when people like you actually sleep through an alarm or something. Yeah. Wait, I I blame the lack of ice in Las Vegas. Um, Eleven ten start time beer league games. Uh, end up with about a 1 a.m. return to your house and a 7 a.m. podcast did not mix this time. Oh, man. <laughs> I just had my, I had an 11 o'clock one on, th- on Monday, too. So, yeah, I know all about it. But I just like like breaking your hockey pucks a bit to start the show. Um, do want to mention later on in the show, we're going to have Chris and Anthony Stewart on. Um, it's not often, guys, you, you get to have a big moment like getting your number raised to the rafters uh, with somebody else. And they're both getting their their jerseys raised to the rafters by 
the Kingston Frontenac uh, this Saturday. So we talked to them uh, a little bit about, you know, we talked to them a couple of days ago about just what it's like to do that with your brother. And of course, just sibling rivalry as a whole. So we'll uh, get to that in the second half of the show. But we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We had a bunch of games last night. We got a bunch of things on the go uh, all week. And, and let's start with the Oilers, guys. They're in Anaheim tonight. They're just clinging to that second wild card in the West. And I say clinging because they've lost four of their last five. Fans are not happy. Media's all over them. Um, and it's it's not a big secret. They're on the lookout right now for a defenseman, as are a lot of teams. But the Oilers, that's according to Pierre Lebrun. Ken Holland's been on the phone inquiring about a lot of defensemen. Thoughts on Edmonton right now, because I just cannot imagine this team missing the playoffs given Connor McTavid and everything else. But um, defensemen, yes, they need a defenseman, but that's kind of just one problem in many right now, isn't it, Russo? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've talked about I, I'm I'm not in, enamored by their bottom six at all, um, at all. I mean, every time I watch them, every time I see them, the Wild play them three times in like 10 days and... I don't think their bottom six scares anybody, but they do need a blue liner. That's been a, an age-old topic there, I think, at Edmonton. I feel like it's got to come this year, and it's going to need to be a, a significant name, whether it's uh, you know a Chikrin, a Dumba, um, a Klingberg, whoever. Um, I think that uh, you know Edmonton's going to have to make a move here. I think Ken Holland's trying to be patient, but you know in this in this conference, in this league, I should say, you get. You know, one three-game losing streak, one four-game losing streak, lose out of four, five, four out of five like they have, and you you find yourself on the precipice of falling out. Everybody, except if you're at that very top, Boston, Dallas, is just one bad losing streak from almost, you know, being in that fragile state. And so, you know, my guess is they turned it around. If it's true that Connor McDavid and <laughs> and Leon Dreisaitl are the uh, most valuable men in the you know on that team, I think that they'll turn it around. But but man, they just definitely seem to be uh, very flaccid lately. Yeah, I agree with Mike that it's not their only problem. The bottom six, I mean, the forward depth has been an issue on this team for a long time, and they it's. I honestly thought it was going to be a little better this year. It hasn't been. Um, when you, when you say clinging to the playoff spot. I don't even think they really are because technically they're in that playoff spot, but it's only because they've played more games than everyone else. I mean, yeah. Nashville and Colorado both have higher points percentages. Um, Colorado has a significantly higher points percentage. They just haven't played as many games. Um, once they catch up, the Oilers are not in a playoff spot and they're, and they're probably a little bit of ways out of a playoff spot in Calgary too. Um, it's, it's shocking what has happened to those two teams. Uh, I don't think we. I think we all thought Calgary would take some time, but Edmonton, they, there weren't really big changes. And the crazy thing is they're getting bailed out by a goalie that no one expected to be this good in, in Skinner, in Stuart Skinner. I think like, where would they be right now if Skinner wasn't the goalie that he's been for them? Um, it's, it's really shocking. Um, they're going to be here in Vegas. Uh, they, they play on Saturday. They play the Golden Knights. I'm excited to see what they look like in person. Um, they've only played once this year, and that was up in Edmonton, and I wasn't there for it. But uh, yeah, they just got their butts whooped by the Kings, uh, same as the Golden Knights did. The Kings are playing really well right now, man. They play that 1-3-1 one, one trap that's super annoying to play against. They're they're running it to perfection. They They whooped Vegas with it. And then I watched the Oilers game the other night and they did the exact same thing to the Oilers. Uh, they just, they wait for you to make mistakes and they score and Kevin Fiala is on fire right now. Um, it's, I, I don't know what's going on with the Oilers other than it's the same problems they've had for a while. They don't have the forward depth. The blue line is bad. 
The goaltending has been okay because, like I said, they have a guy that nobody expected to be this good. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I just don't know what will happen in that city if this team falls out of a playoff spot and ends up watching the playoffs. Yeah, one thing that we should mention is that Evander Kane looks like he's close to returning. So that will obviously strengthen their depth, slot some guys maybe into more proper uh, spots. But, uh, you know, clearly there's an issue. As Jesse, you know, uh, alluded to, I mean, they are they've played three more games in both Nashville and Colorado. So, um, yeah, they've they've you know, the urgency better be ratcheted up here. You mentioned Dumba Russo. He's I feel like he's been linked to a lot of teams right now. And is it just a matter of that's what teams are are looking for? So every name that's out there is going to be linked to every single team that needs a defenseman? Yeah, probably. Um, definitely. Um, Pierre Dorian was in Minnesota the other day uh, scouting the game. And, uh, you know, that is – Pierre's done that before. He was looking at Kevin Fiala uh, last year. He actually scouted the Wild probably four or five times last year um, and then winds up, uh, you know, acquiring Talbot. So, uh, you know, clearly he he liked what he saw there. Um, I think Ottawa's a team that uh, Darren Dreger uh, says uh, reported first that has interest in him. I have confirmed that. Um, Ottawa is one of many teams that are starting to call on him. Um you know, uh, the one thing I'll, I'll say is that uh, Matt Dumba, in his entire tenure in Minnesota, has basically been the subject of trade rumors. He's survived two expansion drafts. He seems to be a lifer here. He's no longer going to be a lifer here. He will. Uh, he, this is his last year with the Wild. Um, they are either going to trade him in the next two or three months, or uh, they are going to uh, let him go via free agency. My gut says if that they'll only trade him as long as there's some sort of lateral move to get a defenseman back, or there is a coinciding move to get a defenseman at the exact same time that they trade Dumba, um, because that their blue line, he's going to need to be replaced. They have a lot of prospects in the organization. None are ready to just step in right there. Um, so they are going to have to get a NHL quality defenseman uh, back in return. I think they have interest in guys like Luke Shen and, and people like that. But um, I do think that Matt Dumba uh, will be traded in advance of the trade deadline, even though this team um, has playoff and not only playoff aspirations, but hope to go on a run. Um, but if they can, if they can move them and get an asset, I think they would do it as long as they get a D back in some sort of capacity. Another name that just keeps coming up to Bo Horvat. Um, it's interesting because I was looking around this morning and just seeing, you know, what's, what's not necessarily the rumors, but what people are saying. And it's so funny because the big debate is whether Bo Horvat is going to be a rental player because he's a pending UFA. Is he a sign and trade? Do the Canucks actually, I know Elliot Friedman was saying that they, the Canucks are going to still try to keep him. Usually at this point with a pending UFA, it's like, okay, where's he going to go for his run? And then are they going to be able to convince him or is he going to test him? I've never seen a player so such a mystery as to what's going to happen between now and March 3rd. Do we see Bull Horvat sticking around in Vancouver? What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I think... I think part of just where he is in his career is what makes this. I mean, he's 27. He's not like the young guy who's for sure like you're going to sign to a seven-year deal and he's the future. I mean, I guess he probably is going to get a long-term deal, but you, you, you're definitely not going to feel certain about it. And then and then he's also not old enough to be like for sure a rental. Like if you get Bo Horvath, especially the way he's playing right now, I feel like every time I turn on a Canucks game, he scores two goals. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the game log. I think he's done it every game, uh, at least the ones I've watched. He scored two goals lately. Um, he's he's playing really well. I think he helps a contender. If you can find cap space, that's always the, the problem, especially the last few years. Um, it seems that all the teams that would want to add him are 
not going to have cap space. So they're either going to have to funnel it through someone and and retain half the salary to, to minimize it. Obviously, you have a little more cap space at the deadline than you do during the offseason. But um, he's I, I don't know where he's going to end up, but it's it's definitely a unique situation with a guy of his age. And, and he's playing really well right now. Like I said, I don't think there's a contender out there that he wouldn't help at the moment. What do you think, Michael? I agree. I mean, who wouldn't want Bo Horvat? The guy is just a fabulous player. Uh, you know, to be a true number one, two center on any team in the league. He's only 27. Um, you'd love if you're going to uh, give up the assets that Vancouver is going to want for him to be able to, you know, figure out a way to keep him there long term. Um, I don't know uh, if that's possible for a lot of the teams that w- could use him right now. Um, you know, I do wonder if they have buyer's remorse with with JT Miller. You know, one, I, I, my, I'm guessing that they don't want to give Bo Horvat more than what Miller got at eight million. They also have Pedersen that they've got to figure out a way, uh, something to do here um, in the next little bit. He's got one year left on his deal at seven three five, um, and I don't. I, my gut says Elias is going to want to move on. Um, you know, that that's just uh, total gut, um, little gut and a little bit of uh, you know knowledge and. Um, you know, I just wonder if they, if they, you know, if they could go back a couple of months, if they wouldn't have signed Miller here, because Horvat is so integral to that team. And I think Horvat's the better player. So, um, you know, it, it's just going to be interesting on how they navigate this because the, a lot of the teams that I know that would love Bo Horvat, I don't think they could sign him uh, long-term right now. That should be your Twitter description. Some gut and a little bit of knowledge. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Russo. As, as Wild fans know, if I say something, it's usually like I got like some sort of like, you know, I don't just throw stuff out there. It's never been my style. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, with Pedersen, there's uh, there's some there's some behind the scenes stuff there that, that uh, you know, um, uh would probably make him want to go elsewhere. It tells you how bad Vancouver's blue line is that we're sitting here like, well, they've got too many good forwards that make a bunch of money. There's no way they're going to be able to figure out how to pay all these guys. They've got one of the best goalies in the league in Thatcher Demko, and they are awful. The team is horrible. And it's just because they've got nothing to defend. Like It's unbelievable how bad the blue line is. They have blown 11 multi-goal leads this season. That's bananas. Like, if you're a fan of a team that's blown 11 multi-goal games before the midway point of the season, tonight is the midway point, that that would be pull out your hair frustrating. Um, and you're right. A lot of that is all about the blue line. Yeah, and it's... uh yeah, they proved the old adage that the toughest lead in hockey is a two-goal lead, that's for sure. Um, I, I so Coincidentally, I was emailing with the league last night because the Wild blew a two-goal lead and they're lost. And so right now, uh, going into last night, there were 77 multi-goal comebacks in 643 games this year. How crazy is that? Yeah, I just um, I just wrote know, that story I mean, on it. On yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Been, yeah. There, I mean, isn't it? Um, they're on you know, pace. Like the, there's the, my alarm. They're on pace to... Uh, <laughs> To shatter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you heard it this time. They're on pace to shatter the uh, all-time record. Like the the most the most games ever. I think the most multi-goal comebacks ever in a season is 138. And when I wrote that story a week and a half ago, they were on pace for 160. I think they're actually on pace for more now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's uh, a 13 percent. By the way, uh, one issue with your alarm might be the volume. 
I'm just saying because I barely yeah, I didn't heard hear it. it. Yeah, oh, I didn't you, hear it. Oh, either. it was very loud on this side. No, it was. I, I <laughs> okay. it must not have picked up on the mic. It sounded like a submarine <laughs> going down. Like it was. Yeah. <laughs> I I love it. I love the fact that you look at last night too with uh, with Pittsburgh. Yep. With Vancouver, obviously, Tim, we're talking about it was three nothing in the first period. The game was tied after the first period. So as a fan, it's fun to watch. Uh, we got a lot can I interject one thing here? You know, it'd be a good alarm for Jesse to have. So the other day I'm in the situation room and I know we're going to talk about this, but they got the camera in there and then this microphone that comes down from the ceiling and it is like the, it's like the, you know, the, it's like God in there and who that is God. It's Coley Campbell. He watches all the games from his home and he pipes in there and he can see everything that's going on in, in the situation room and then starts talking. So if we put that into Jesse's bedroom and then all of a sudden you could have Jeff Domet. Yeah, Jeff Domet has to be the guy. Yeah. Just, uh, Jesse, uh, can you wake up, please? Like, I, w- how great would that be? And, and I'm sure that Jeff could get that approved right now through our incredible audio team at The Athletic to send a little microphone and a camera right into Jesse's room there. My fear would that be that Jesse's like, I'll just I'll do the show from bed. I'll just, if the microphone's right there, I'll just, I'll just do it right from bed. <laughs> no need to get up and come upstairs. So we saw our first 32 all-stars named guys. As I mentioned, tonight is officially the midway point of the season where we got the all-star uh, break coming up. Um, the first stage, so one player from each team in the NHL was made by the league's department of hockey operations. Stage number two, where two more skaters and a goalie for each division will be added is on fan voting. We're not going to get into snubs. We're not going to get onto who should have been and who shouldn't have been. Here's my question. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Should we ha- uh, we should have uh, had yeah. torts on. That's We definitely should have had torts hey, on. Hey, God, torts is going to be next. Don't you worry. We're, we're going to get to torts. There are two kind of schools of thought about the All-Star game. One is that if you get voted on or you're going to the All-Star game, it's because of what you've done up until that point. You're having a really good season. You are an all-star. Here's an accomplishment. Here's a gold star. Go enjoy yourself. The other school of thought is this is a spectacle for the fans. It doesn't necessarily matter if you're having a good or bad season. If you're a star player and you're not having a great season, who cares? We want to see you there. Um, it's just purely for the fans and everything else shouldn't matter. I want to know what side you guys are both on before I tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Jesse? I personally am on the side of let's just have the most fun with the all-star game. And like that's a lot of people are against giving every team an all-star. And it's like, why? Like, does it really crush you that you couldn't get your four all-stars on your team? Let the Coyotes have somebody or whatever team it is. Like, let these fans have someone in the game. All it's for is entertainment. The in terms of the the like the reward for it. I think some people want to say, well, this guy was an eight time all-star when they're trying to make him up to me. That's stupid. Like I don't, I don't count all-stars as an accomplishment, like for your career to like validate, like validate how good your career was. I think I used to be like that though, Jesse. Yeah. yeah, It used to be for a long, long time. Exactly. I'm more on the side of this game is like, it's just an exhibition. It's fun. Just have fun with it. If, if Alex Ovechkin wasn't having his best year, I still want him at the All-Star game. Like he obviously is still a beast, but an example. I do not take the All-Star game seriously at all. I don't think you should count the All-Star games on a guy's career as like proof of why he's a Hall of Famer. I think you should look at stats in games that actually mattered. Um, but yeah, that's that's my take on it. I think everybody should get one. I think it should be fun. First of all, you know what it drives me nuts is that like 
if you make the All-Star game, you're not an All-Star. You're an All-Star if you're a first or second team at the end of the year. That's what's considered right. an All-Star on any level. You've made eight All-Star games, and I think a lot of fans get it wrong, and I think a lot of us in the media get it wrong, um, especially in the National Hockey League with the system that they've set up. You know, I mean, you know, it, look, the reality is, is that in the last couple of years, especially if you look at some of the goaltenders in some of the divisions that have made it, they were there by process of elimination. They were hardly the best goaltenders in the league or hardly the best goaltenders even in their division in some cases. And I'm thinking the central specifically in the last couple of years. So, um, I, you know, I just think it's a, a little bit of a misnomer. I, I honestly don't have a problem with 32 guys getting into the 32, you know, representatives for each at least one every team um the only thing though is i do think it's a bit of a misnomer in the fact that um you know if we have somebody from arizona now that's going to draw arizona fans to watch it i just uh, you know if you like the all-star game you're going to watch it if you don't even if you're a fan of clayton keller or even Kirill kaprizov you're not going to you're not going to watch it you know if you're just not an all-star game uh, game fan. So, um, you know, but it, back to the original point too, I am all for, like, I think Steve Mayer has done a fabulous job in making these games fun, thinking outside of the box. I thought the Vegas spectacle last year was genius in just changing up the skills competitions. And I think that I like the fact that now wherever they put the, the, the games, they're coming up with themes there. So they're going to have the dunk take on the beach in, or they're thinking about it, having a dunk tank on the beach in Florida, which I don't even know if is reported yet. They're going to have a golf component, you know, where you know, they're going to put these guys on a golf course for one of the skills competitions. So it's not just your normal, all right, fastest skater and this and that. I think, uh, I think they're doing really good things to try to make it more entertaining, which is what this All-Star game is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about entertainment. Yeah, I agree. And I have no problems with the one per team, personally. I still think there's got to be an element of you're having a great year. Here's your gold star. Which to me, like, you know, I'm the, I've said this on the show before. I'm the old curmudgeon. You know, my wife says it to me all the time. The John Scott year, I didn't think was as great as everybody put it. I didn't sit there with a smile on my face because John Scott won the, the MVP. That, that was just me. Um, the leagues actually made some rules to try to combat stuff like that. You know, you have to be on an active roster as of December 1st and all these rules, but, um, that's just me. I mean, the whole let's 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 have a Rudy type person on there every single year. I, I like to think of it as a, at least a bit of an accomplishment. But anyways, if you want to vote, go vote. There's a couple of three spots left for every single team. And I'm that nerd who watches it. I know Russo said, who cares? I, I watch every all-star game, even if it's absolutely horrible. I just wonder if there's, if we're going to have like that John Scott thing now with this, this fan voter. Remember, remember the whole Rory Fitzpatrick campaign with Vancouver yeah, many, many years yeah. ago where they had like actual campaign videos on YouTube to get Rory Fitzpatrick in the All-Star That's game? That's what I mean. I, the, to me, that's not what the All-Star game should be about. The All-Star game should be the best players in the NHL. Um, and a bit of a reward. Uh, you mentioned Torts. You, you, uh, spoiler alert here, Russo. Uh, we got to talk about this. Um, Little exchange with a reporter. Before we even get into it, uh, here's the audio in case you missed it. How do you think the power play adjusts to changing personnel? Uh, somebody that's typically on the unit isn't there. What? How do you think they adjust when somebody that's typically on the unit is set? I don't know how to answer your questions. I'm not trying to be rude, but you're qu I just can't get to your questions. Okay, so yeah, torts being torts was all over Twitter, guys. Um, it, it, look, just to give people some context, 
Torts had benched Tony D'Angelo, who's usually on their first power play unit. And because he was benched, they had four power plays and he wasn't on there. Was the reporter's question, and forgive me, I don't know who the reporter is, was the reporter's question Shakespearean? <laughs> no. Um, but are we tired of this with Torts? I, I, I'm tired of this with Torts. Jesse? Yes, I'm very tired of it. Um, I'm tired of he- seeing, we're going to talk about Torts' rant on the show today and having to figure out which of the last seven rants over the last three days we're actually talking about. Um, if you want to bench Tony D'Angelo, that's fine. You're the coach. But you also have to talk about it after the game. And clearly, that's like you, you, you mentioned, like maybe, maybe the reporter didn't say the question in the exact right way or the way that they wanted to. But that doesn't mean John didn't know what the reporter was asking. The reason yeah. he acted like that isn't because the question wasn't asked correctly. It's because he didn't want to talk about that subject because it's something that he didn't want to talk about. And it's always that way with him, it seems. And it's like, like I said, if you want to make a tough decision, bench one of your players that the people are going to be surprised when they see he's not out there on the power play unit. Um, you have to talk about it after the game. That's just how it works. Yeah, I don't understand why he does this. Um, it, it makes me, you know, one, I have empathy for the reporter there, whoever asked the question, and I, I don't know who it was. Um, partially, I think sometimes if you're a reporter and you ask him in what Torts' mind is probably a clumsy way, it's because you're freaking nervous to ask him a question yeah. because he jumps down everybody's throats and tries to humiliate Yep. And, you know, this is the lack of humanity in our in society today, and I don't understand why Tortorella uh, uh, does it. I don't understand why Chuck Fletcher allows it. I don't understand why Gary Bettman and Bill Daly don't tell him to stop it. It's just not fair. These are human beings that he makes feel like shit on a daily basis. And, you know, I actually like Tortorella. I've never had an issue with him, but I've never had an issue with him probably because I've never covered him on an everyday basis. I am the type of reporter that would probably go Brooksy on him. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's just the way I am. I, I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I get defensive and I am more than willing to debate and have those exchanges in pressers. So, um, you know, I, I just don't get um, why he does this and why he just has to act like a complete asshole sometimes. And it's, it's just not fair to these reporters. It's not fair to people in general. And what's, what really makes me conflicted about it is that the exchanges that I've had with, with Tortorella when the cameras are off is that he's a really, you know, charming guy at times. And he seems to have a big heart at times when those cameras are off. So I think he cares about people. Um, you know, I remember Tom Reed, the reporter, in Columbus, when he, when he, uh, you know, so a lot of us reporters, we all use our phones now as our recorders. We no longer have micro cassette recorders. We no longer have digital recorders. We have our phones. So phone is on the podium. Tom Reed's phone all of a sudden with the mute button starts ringing during his press conference in Columbus. And it's Tom Reed's mom calling and Cordarella answers the call and had this like really cool back and forth with Tom Reed's mom. You know, the report, the old reporter with the Columbus Deuce dispatch there and, and actually at the and the athletic um, in Columbus. And so I just um, I know that there's a heart there, but yet he does this all the time. And I just I would not want to cover him. And I feel bad for that reporter. And I bet you if that reporter lo- was nervous asking the question, it's because he, he was afraid of asking a tough question to a guy that will never, ever, ever answer a tough question, even though he wants to act like the toughest coach in the NHL. I just, it makes no sense to me. Right. That to me, that's the spot on thing is like the, the whole persona of like the, the, the tough 
guy that he puts on out there like but you're not answering the question like if you would just answer the question to me that's tougher than than just jumping down this reporter's throat every time they ask you a tough one just answer it he wants his players to have spines with him and yet he will not you know he will not answer a, t- a question anytime and and to me like you are the coach of an NHL team your job is to it's not us being assholes as reporters asking questions we are there to give the fans that are paying a fortune to watch this team answers you know and and that's what i don't get i don't get it when gms there are certain gms around this league you know rangers detroit red wings there's report there's gms in this league that do not talk to the media ever and and, like and i just don't i don't get that i you know your job is to help inform you know to go to a ranger boston bruins game next week is 800 bucks don't you think the fans of the rangers deserve to know what's going on with the team and be informed by the media and yet you have you have you know people that never even speak to the media, and and I just don't get this type of um, attitude by a lot of the people in the league. You, I think they forget, they think that we're just this annoyance when there our purpose is not to be annoying. Our purpose is to explain to the fans what's going on with the team. It doesn't have to be this fucking difficult. Period. The definition of the word bully has really evolved, in my opinion. A bully used to be loud, gruff would get mad at you, would, you know, overpower you. He does it. I I think John Tortorella is a huge bully with the media. And I think he does it with ways like that where he's belittling somebody. I don't, again, I don't think it was an eloquent question. No, but it's also. But partially because the reporter who sounds like he's young, I don't want to, but it it was probably nervous to ask the question because this is the way that Torts, he tries to humiliate you now and make you a YouTube moment. It it makes no sense to me. If the athletic quote unquote benched me as host of this show for three shows and they had threw someone else in and then somebody asked our producer, uh, you know, how did, how did Jesse and and Russo do with a new host? That seems like a legitimate question because that's exactly what happened. So I understand if it's a a question that really is a personal question or, you know, I've seen him say, you know, I, I hear reporters all the time say, Hey, you had a personal conversation with this player. What did you guys talk about? Well, guys, I'm not going to say that in a public forum. You bench a player who's your quarterback on PP1 and you miss, you know, uh, he misses four power plays. I don't care how it's worded. That reporter was not on camera, you know, doing uh, an interview. The reporter was in a press conference. Okay. It doesn't need to, it, it, it bothers me. And now I'm at a point where enough, and, and I'm not saying this as a member of the media, I'm saying this is just as, as you said, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Russo. This is humanity. Treat people with some respect. And yeah. when he doesn't, right. it's annoying. I just don't understand what it, why it is necessary to always sit there and have a fight with the press for no reason. Yeah. You just bench Tony D'Angelo. It's going to be a question in there. <laughs> you know, I, I watch all the time where the PR guy for the Minnesota Wild will just say to Dean, hey, just to let you know, this was kind of the line of questioning to different players in the locker room. So they're going to ask you about the odd man rushes. They're going to ask you about this. So you come in there with a knowledge base that, hey, uh, you know, Russo is probably going to come after you on the odd man rushes. Have a, have a question prepared. You don't need a PR person to tell you that Tony D'Angelo is going to be a topic of the postgame presser. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't disagree that maybe Torts didn't like the way the cu- question was framed or that, all that stuff, but Sometimes I also got to think that Torts needs to look in the mirror and say, maybe these guys don't and women don't ask me the question as eloquently as I think it should be asked because they're fucking scared of me. 
You know, they're scared of, of, of him making them look like a fool nationally. And I, I just don't think it's fair. I don't think it's necessary. You're going to get, there are going to be stressful times in post-game press conferences all the time. I get it. But, you know, like everything, you know, you should pick your battles. You know, if you're going to have a nasty exchange, as Jesse said, don't do it every single day. Make, make it a special one, <laughs> you know, make it an example. But to come yeah. out on this one, it just, you know, to make it just, I don't know. It's just and unnecessary. I've, 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 and again, I don't know the context. I don't know if they've had three or four or five of these different types of exchanges. And maybe there is a lack of respect level there on the, on the certain reporter or what. There's always context. Like last night, the, the Wild had a too many men on the ice penalty. It was clear, egregious, too many men. And Dean went crazy. But then Dean afterwards pulled the reporter, the three beat writers aside and explained something that happened earlier in the game with the officials when the Rangers had too many men and something that was said to him, which now gave us context of why he was so pissed for a true too many men in overtime. So, I mean, there's always this context, this underlying thing that a lot of us reporters and fans and people don't know, and maybe they've had these an issue before, but I just, without the context, it just seems totally unnecessary. And it's not lost on, on anyone that, I've been that young reporter as both of you have, you know, we, we didn't come out of a box like this. You're embarrassing this person in front of their peers. I, mm -hmm. I've been in that in a, in a press conference and I'm 100%. looking over at reporters who I've, I've mm -hmm. admired for years and, and looked up yep. to for years and had this person humiliate you like that. This is a professional work environment. Act like it. Yeah. So everybody, you know, in Minnesota, Florida, they know my story. I mean, I started as a sports writer for the Sun Sentinel age 15 years old. Okay. I covering high school games would go there and I'd be nervous and, and all that stuff. Then I started colleges when I was 18, covered University of Florida, covered FSU. And I can tell you, Steve Spurrier treated me like a child and Bobby Bowden treated me like a man. And you never forget that as long as you live. Because you go in there and you're not confident in your own skin and you're nervous and you don't ask the, 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 the questions that maybe should come out at, at still at, at this age. You know, I don't, I get tongue tied and don't ask the most eloquent questions in the proper ways and all that stuff. But you, you know, at least now I'm more comfortable in my own skin where years ago you're not. You know, I, I think that if I knew even at this age, if I was going to ask John Tortorella a pointed question of postgame press conference, even as long as I've covered this league 28 years, I'd be nervous. Yeah. And so I think that John has to understand that a lot of the reasons why maybe he these reporters don't spit out questions in the most perfect way that he wants it asked is because they're scared of him, because they're scared that he's going to try to make them look like a fool on national TV, in front of their peers, all that type of stuff, in on social media where everything spreads like wildfire. Um, it just it just is so unnecessary. I, I deal with Bruce Cassidy on a day-to-day -day basis, and he is the exact opposite. Like he is such a professional and so thoughtful when you ask a question. Like we were actually joking about it in the media here in Vegas about Bruce Cassidy a couple weeks ago. We were like, you don't even have to ask a good question. You can have like we all ask bad questions. Yeah. We word our question wrong. I'll ask a terrible question. Bruce is so smart. He knows what I meant to ask and gives a great answer. He's like, eh, that was a stupid question, but I know exactly what Jesse really wanted. Here's your great answer. I'll give you this explanation. Like and what do you know? The relationship is great and you get way better questions. I've noted like not that Pete DeBoer and Gerard Gallant weren't great, but they just weren't as thoughtful and weren't as into it. Bruce Cassidy loves talking hockey. I see the questions get better at Golden Knights press conferences this season because Bruce Cassidy is so thoughtful with his answers, because he understands 
our job and what we're trying to do and and realizes why we're asking these questions. It's so different night and day from from what Tortorella is doing wherever the hell Bruce he is. Ca- Bruce Cassidy is the only coach in the league that actually eats in the media meal room before a game. I think it's that's hilarious, too. Um, I was just uh, to your point, Jesse, I was just in Buffalo. Oh, my God. Don Granado. Like, <laughs> like that guy does like 15 minute press conferences on a morning skate day. And he just goes on and on and on with the most thoughtful questions. The reporters there, which, you know, could be gruff. Right? They they love him. Um, he just, you know, he just I don't know. I, I just like I said at, the, at one point during this freaking rant of mine, it is not that tough. This It doesn't always have to be a fight. It doesn't have to be difficult. I just don't I don't get it. I just don't get it. We'll leave it at that. Obviously, all three of us on the the same side of this argument. After the break, trust me, guys, we got intense there for a few minutes. It's not going to be intense. Chris and Anthony Stewart joining us, talking about their jerseys getting raised to the rafters in Kingston. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Larusso, you've covered this game a long time, as have I. I've watched a lot of games and something we see a lot. Numbers being raised up to the rafters, you know, and it always seems to be the same thing. You got players there probably with a wife and kids and tears and flowers and everything else. So we've seen it happen before. The one thing we usually don't see, though, two jerseys going up at the same time with the same last name on it. That is an original raising to the rafters. And that's exactly what the Kingston Frontenac is going to do this Saturday when they raise the numbers of Anthony and Chris Stewart to the rafters who are now joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. Boys, welcome to the show and congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You know, I'm very, really uh, excited to be here. And Russo, we go back a long way back to our days in Florida. <laughs> so it's, it's good to see that you're still doing well. <laughs> yeah, I said, I, I was telling Rob before you guys came on, I'm like, I got to be the only beat writer of the league that got to cover both Stewart <laughs> brothers. And I actually got to cover Chris twice. It's on his resume for sure. Yep. Um, yeah. So, guys, obviously, congratulations again. Big honor. But is it have a little bit of you know extra juice, some steroids in it that you're going to see your your number race to the Raptors, and you're doing it right next to your brother Anthony. We'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely great, and you know, has been sort of taking a lot of flack the last couple of years from Mike Zigamanis, who was the last Frontenac to get his jersey retired, and you know, I played with David Ling in uh, the British League during the lockouts. And he used to tell me how much they used to call it uh, Linkston when he was there. So to go in there now and be recognized for our uh, our accomplishments, where you know I was really really surprised that it that it happened. Uh, it's definitely great, but uh, to have it happen uh, with my younger brother Chris and and just his story and his incredible story and how he even made it to Kingston, you know that's a one in ten million opportunity. So for him now to get an opportunity, make the most of it, and have an amazing junior career and now parlay that into an NHL career. You know, I always tell everybody that's my number one accomplishment uh, as a hockey player, just, you know, giving my brother an opportunity to show what he can do because I really believe in his game. So to be recognized by the whole entire city of Kingston, uh, the organization, 
Uh, it's definitely one of the crown achievements of definitely of my career. So I'm very, very excited and even more excited to share with my brother, Christopher. Chris, your thoughts on going in there with your big bro. Well, not that he dropped my uh, my government name, Christopher. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was just thinking <laughs> that. I'm like, I'm like, suddenly he became your dad there. Right. No, for sure. You know, uh, I Russo can speak to this. You know, last year sitting at Miko Koivu's retirement jersey. You know, just it's the utmost, it's the utmost respect. And you know, going in there with my big brother, especially with both of us, you know, kind of having career paths that were two different ends of the spectrum. With him being, you know, the seventh overall pick, and you know, me being a walk on to Kingston. So just us going up together makes it that more special. It's it's a huge day for our, for our family. And having all our friends and guys that are with us throughout the years, uh, you know, kind of, you know, bring it all under one roof and our kids there. You know, it's 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 a dream come true. And it's, you know, it's it's, it's a great night for our family. Yeah. Chris, uh, tell the story. Anthony mentioned that it was a one in a million chance of you even being on that team. Tell the story on on how you guys, uh, you know, how, how you got there. No, for sure. You know, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I didn't play hockey in my, uh, my OHL draft year. You know, we were going through some uh, financial hardships and, uh, you know, I was a little bigger at the time. And, you know, for football, you only needed your equipment, no registration fees, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was definitely a more cost effective way to, to be an athlete. And, uh, you know, my brother put his reputation on the line talking to uh, Larry Mavity, rest in peace, who were uh, accepting, uh, you know, the whole award in, uh, in his honor. And, uh, you know, they gave me a trial. You know, they, they had no idea what was coming or any expectations i think it was probably more there thinking of it as a, as a favor but you know i put in the work that summer and you know i definitely wasn't surprised i think them uh you know they're looking for someone that was going to bring more physical attributes not not necessarily known for my skill yet so i went in there and uh you know i won a job and never looked back okay guys we're four and a half minutes into the interview everybody's fine and dandy loving each other big bro little bro I want to know about the sibling rivalry growing up. I've got two brothers. No matter what we did, we competed like hell in our household and we were not NHL caliber players. I want to know what it was like with the two of you. I know you had sisters, but I'm sure the two of you going at it, whether it was street hockey, basketball, football, whatever it was, I'm sure you guys fought tooth and nail. Chris, I'll let you go first on this one. No, for sure. You know, that's, uh, that's definitely how the younger brother becomes the toughest. You know, he's, he's definitely got to take his licks and, I think I took him till I thought I was about 14 or 15 where, I, you know, I thought I was ready for a shot at the title. And, you know, Anthony could talk about how that went. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I won the silver, uh, the sibling rivalry. And I think the best way to, uh, to test that and that, that theory was who was always in net as the goaltender. So I always made him the goalie while I dangled him. And we actually got into a couple of fights because I said, Hey, you know what? You just go in as goaltender for a couple of shots and I'll switch. And then after the shootout, I'd actually run away. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, just our upbringing, that's how I uh, run my programs now uh, in, in coaching the minor hockey, where we have kids that are older and they're leaders for the younger kids. Because what it does now, it just teaches them how to be big brothers and big sisters and be leaders. But what it really, really does is it pushes the younger kids to be better and it sees them something to strive for. So, you know, I'm at my camp right now and there's, you know, seven, eight, nine years old players. And they get to see now the 15 and 16 year old players that are going to be in the OHL. So it gives them something to push for. But, you know, even with my brother, you know, when he came out of, um, you know, football, you know, we started to go for runs and he couldn't keep up. So he rode the bike. And then a couple of weeks later, we'd be doing rollerblades. And before you knew it, he was actually in better shape than me where he was actually beating me in the run. So it, it was amazing to see. And 
uh, just to see that transformation. But uh, again, it's, I toughened him up, but you know, he ended up being a tougher player, you know, on and off the ice. So I did my job as, as the bigger brother. That's for sure. Anthony, uh, you know, you're coming to us from a hockey rink. We know that you have the Stewart hockey, uh, you know, camps there. Chris, I just saw you the other day. You brought your entire Brainerd Warrior team down to XL Energy Center as well. What what has made you both give back? Um, you you know, ha- with both the Stewart camps, but now uh, Chris, with you owning the Minnesota hockey camps here, um, how fulfilling has that been? With as busy as both of you are, with uh, you know, with other things going on in your lives. Well, I, I think for me, and, and uh, you know, I could I'll let Chris speak for himself was you know, we were these younger kids, right? And we had that sense of community back then where, you know, we needed those rides to the rings. We need someone to help with equipment and registration costs. And we had people go above and beyond to make sure that we had success and found success and an opportunity to be successful in hockey where, you know, they didn't have to do that. They could have said, you know what, it's too much to come and pick you up from your neighborhood, figure it out yourself. So we had those people go above and beyond. The community really went above and beyond to make sure that we were successful in the game of hockey. So for me, I feel like it's my civic duty to help these young generational kids of equity deserving kids to now have that same opportunity. So, you know, it's funny, I drive by the rink all the time and kids are saying, don't worry, I'll take the bus home. No, no, you're going to hop in the car. We're going to take you to Tim Hortons, get you a coffee and drive you home because um, easily the community could have drove past us or forgotten about us and we wouldn't have the success. So it's more so for me, uh, to, to pay it forward to the next generation of kids. No, for sure. No, piggyback off that with, uh, you know, what, uh, Ace Stu said there was, you know, it takes a village. You know, we're fortunate enough to, to run into the right people who, uh, you know, help bridge this journey for us. And, you know, that's the satisfaction I get out of today. Just the impact you can have on a kid's life. Just taking a little five minutes after practice, talking to them, getting to know them. You know, with Minnesota hockey camps, you know, we average about 90 kids a week and, you know, we're, we're a full summer program. And then outside of that, you know, we're training our local high school boys and girls, you know, 90 of them a week. So like you said, just, just giving back and having a fun atmosphere, inclusive atmosphere, and really teaching these guys how to play the game the right way. And, you know, not just hockey lessons, you know, life lessons. You know, I've been fortunate enough to, to go through so many life lessons throughout this game that, you know, I, like I said, I feel like it's our civic duty to, to pass that back to the next generation. Speaking of that, guys, I mean, siblings in the NHL is not, nothing new. I mean, you go all the way back to the Richards, you know, the, the Espositos, the Stalls. Now we see the Hughes brothers just doing so well. But I'm, I'd, I'd imagine at times it might have been tough, not only on yourselves, but your family and your parents. And, you know, trying to get two guys to, 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 to realize their dreams is difficult, as you mentioned. Any advice for, for maybe families that have two or three players who are definitely NHL bound that maybe you guys learned along the way, Anthony? Re- refinance. I mean, and hold on. Let me take, let me take that one first. Ace, dude, for the <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, for me, I was the lucky one. You know, I, my brother wrote the blueprint. I just had to follow it. Right. No gift and a curse, whether that was good things, bad things. You know, he, he had the experience of that firsthand, you know, for, so for me, just having my brother show up and do the things right first and, you know, being such a highly tied of prospect, you know, from the age he was 13 years old, you know, Bobby Orr walking in our house, you know, just having that, you know, that first class experience and kind of getting to learn from him, you know, hands on was, was so big for me. You know, I remember being 15 years old, being at the 2003 NHL draft, which is, you know, arguably the best NHL draft of all time. And just watching my brother going 25th overall to the Florida Panthers, you know, that really kicked it in for me that, you know, if he could do it, I could do it. And the power of belief and positive thinking is real. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think this game, it's, it's all about timing and opportunity. And there's going to be a time and place where, you know, you have that opportunity to make it to the next level. So you just got to let them have fun. And, you know, I'm in Toronto where it's a, a crazy ma- marketplace for lack of better words. And, you know, everyone thinks their kids going to the national hockey league at, uh, you know, eight, nine years old. And, you know, if we tell you what it takes to make the league at nine years old, half the kids would quit. So you just got to let them have fun, uh, work on the game, get better, uh, but don't just put so much emphasis on winning and then being the best and being the best at a young age because, you know, you, you see the tale of the Stewart brothers. I was seventh overall, 25th overall, world junior superstar. And I owned up playing, you know, less than 300 games in the National Hockey League where you have my brother who was undrafted and, you know, you three-year OHL player, drafted 18th overall, playing almost 700 games. So there's different pathways. Uh, you just have to embrace the journey whichever way you go, but you got to have fun. And you can't say can't just decide to quit. Here's my brother. He had every opportunity to quit and say, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. He took his break. He came back and made him better. So just deal with the adversity, develop, but just embrace that journey that uh, is the game of hockey. It's it's funny because when you talk about your your brother, I mean, that's that's how I always envision him is having fun. You know, I mean, I, the other day when your kids were down there, Stewie, I was showing one of your sons where you used to do the Stewie sprint. You know, I mean, that to me took on a life of its own and why you were such a popular player here in Minnesota twice, by the way. Um, what like, first of all, like bring your kids down there the other day, giving them a tour of the locker room, all that type of stuff. Like how fulfilling is that for you? And did they recognize how special you were to this organization? No, for sure. I think they were. They were definitely a little young, but you know, my, my kids are, were spoiled. They're saying, Hey dad, how come I don't get to go practice with the wild? Right. As opposed to the other 13 kids on the team, you know, they, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe they get to meet, uh, bro Kaprasov or Mark Andre Fleury, as opposed to my kids. Oh, there's uncle Dums or there's uncle Reaver. But like you said, just, just that experience, that behind the scenes experience, you know, we were kind enough for Mark, Marcus Lino brought us through, uh, for a team dressing room tour, you know, just to sit in. Mark Andre Fleury stall or Kaprasov stall or you know Jared Spurgeon stall. Just getting that behind the scenes look is just it's just life is life changing, you know. And the fact that you know I'm still in good standing to make that call or make that text message uh, to Andrew Hyatt, who's uh, you know the director of uh, team services, and still be embraced. You know, this is five years ago this year, and you know as a as a depth player, you know at best. But to go you to show you, you know it's all it's all how you treat people in this game. That you know my name's still good enough to to call these guys five years later and. They're literally dropping everything you on, you know, on a game day, you know, coming into an NHL dressing room on a game day. It's something, you know, this kind of stuff is unheard of. So to just, uh, you know, have your name still be in that good standing around here is, you know, something I pride myself on a lot. I'm sure on a, you know, an event like this, a lot of memories come back from those junior days in Kingston. Is, is there one that really sticks out for the both of you when you close your eyes and think of your time with the Frontenacs, a memory, a story, something that, that you'll be thinking about when you're standing on that ice, Anthony? Um, <laughs> I think when I won world junior gold, uh, I brought it back to Kingston and they actually like the local bar <laughs> had like a world junior night where I actually brought it to the nightclub and people were lining up to take pictures and kiss it and everything like that. But uh, I, I think the one thing for me was just the fans and just how, uh, pride they had in the Frontenacs. The Frontenacs wasn't just a team, it was a way of life. It's a blue collar city. 
And regardless if you won or lost, if you had a great effort, they respected you. So we had a lot of respect because we brought that effort every single night. Uh, we didn't have a lot of great teams, but we worked extremely hard. Uh, and, and we brought that effort every single night. So it's going to be great going back to Kingston. And I think it's probably about my 12th or 14th time going back. I coach minor hockey now. So I bring my teams back there to go to tournaments and, and meet some old friends and uh, family out there as well, too. So definitely going to be experience uh, another one that I'm probably never going to forget. Yeah, for me, I think, uh, you know, just my draft year, you know, we had four guys uh, get drafted that year. Three of them are my line, two of them are my line mates, Bobby Hughes. and. Uh, Corey Emerton is still playing in uh, Switzerland, but uh, you know, the one memory I do remember finally was in uh shout out to Jim Halton, who's coaching his uh, thousands game here on Thursday when he called out a Stu and told him he couldn't make the Florida junior C team in front of the whole team. And <laughs> it was, it was probably the funniest thing I ever heard in my life, but you know, to a Stu's credit, we, we were going on the, uh, the Windsor Plymouth uh, road trip and he went and had three hat tricks in a row. So I think he knew how to push the right buttons, but you know, just seeing my brother humbled in front of the whole team and, being called a junior C player was, you know, probably one of the funniest memories I have a junior. I have another one too. It's a one time, I think we were losing, uh, I think it was 11 one in London after two periods. And we were trying to pull the fire alarm uh, to try to get out of there. <laughs> and we were talking the talk and my brother ended up saying, you know what? Enough is enough. He went and turned the game into a brock debauchery, ended up fighting, getting thrown out. So I think we ended up losing like 14 one. And that was, that was probably one of the most embarrassing moments, but it was, it was fun being in that dressing room, trying to get out of the building after two periods of London. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, what's it what's it been like uh kind of moving over to that dark side and becoming a member of the media? You know, I mean you do such a great job on Sportsnet and and don't you think I mean it's too bad Brainerd's not a little closer to the Twin Cities. I think you're two and a half hours away, Stewie, but don't you think Chris needs to find himself a job on Valley Sports North? Don't you think wild fans deserve that? Absolutely. And uh, who's there now? Is it is it Carter that's there now? He looks yep. good. He's Carter Walls uh, and Parrish. He's looking fresh, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. again, I used to always blame the media. So now I can blame myself. But even as a player, I'm like, well, I'm not part of the media. But, you know, but it, it, it's great because you get to talk the game for a living, right? And, you know, usually after retirement, some guys got to go and work in an office or real estate. I get to stay in the game and talk hockey. So, um it's a lot of Maple Leafs talk and, you know, you got to talk about them a lot, but um, I, I'm really fond of their team and, and what they're doing this year too, but it's definitely a great experience. And, you know, just going back to what my brother said, just treating people the right way, conducting your business the right way. You have an opportunity now to, to get more opportunities. So using my lessons growing up from humble beginnings now, and it's really helping me now uh, in my second career as a broadcaster. I got to ask you, I was watching the Leaf game last night, and I know Amber and Fridge were, were showing when you did win that World Junior Gold. Uh, and obviously, it, it's we're right in the middle of it right now. Do you watch every minute of the World Juniors and just get taken back every time? And when you see someone like Connor Bedard doing what he's doing, I mean, you, you, you could kind of relate to that a lot better than a lot of us can, can't you? Yeah. Well, I can't admit it because it's on a rival network, but uh, I think Sportsnet, uh, they are they are the replay. So I watch it on the replays on Sportsnet. But, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I play with some great players and Jeff Carter and Sidney Crosby and Bergeron and Brent Burns. But just seeing what this Bedard kid's doing at 17 years old, this is a 19 year old tournament. 19, 20 year old where guys are coming in now as men dominating. He's doing this at 17 years old. And, you know, I thought I was the man. I led the team in uh, the tournament in points with 11 points one year thinking I'm the man. This guy's got 
<laughs> did that in two games. <laughs> game and a half. Game and a half. He had 11 points. Yeah, right. And I got all my points because I'm playing against, you know, some of the teams and they're seeing a guy 6'2", 240 pounds coming down on them. They're like, just take the puck and go score. But to see Bedard do this as an underager, it's it's amazing. So uh, I don't think the Wild, they're not, uh, they're fighting for the playoffs. And, you know, I think they'll get in so they won't uh, be able to draft him. But whatever team gets him. They're getting a superstar, a 15-year surefire superstar, and it's great to see, and it's exciting to watch him play as a junior. Yep. Hey, uh, Stewie, just lastly for you, Chris, um, as you know, I had Ryan Reeves on uh, Straight from the Source, my other athletic podcast the other day, um, talked about your bachelor party and how you weren't able to be sort of up to snuff with everybody else, couldn't keep up, eventually had to leave early. Is that that accurate? Who, me? No, no, Chris Stewart. Oh. That's me. So I, uh, you know, they're there for three days. I got 48 hours and I'm out of there, boys. That's, that's, that's all. I'm and I did the, I uh, do the Irish goodbye too. You don't say bye to anyone. Uh, boys, <laughs> don't touch me for a month. I'm out of here. <laughs> I love, I love one. I love how Russo keeps calling saying Stewie. There's two of them on the show. Russo, I know. Right? I know. You, gotta, you gotta classify who you want to say and <laughs> what balls you have to ask about a bachelor party. That's oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that, that's the kind of show we have around here, huh? I, w- I will say this. If, if people that are listening to this have not heard that Ryan Reeves podcast, there is a lot of great Chris Stewart stories on there. Like lots, <laughs> like uh, about uh, playing hoops in Jamaica and everything. Oh, Next man, time you good. see Rebo and speaking of Jamaica, tell him I want a rematch uh, from the swim race. <laughs> he beat me in the 25 meter dash there in this pool. And I was like, I was known as like the fastest swimmer from Canada and he, he dusted me off, but uh, I want to rematch. Tell him that one. He still had his water wings on in the shallow end. What's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be there to broadcast the whole thing. Uh, guys, thanks so much. Congratulations. Uh, really enjoy it. You know, having your brother there with you. I know we're, we're poking fun at each other right now, but it's got to be a huge honor. So congratulations. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us guys. Appreciate Congrats, it. Guys. Big thanks to Chris and Anthony uh, for coming on the show, guys. And uh, it'll be interesting to see both of them on that blue line watching the jersey go up to the Raptors. After the break, we usually do rapid fire, but we got one topic we want to discuss. So it's rapid fire with just one bullet. So don't go anywhere. Okay, guys, we usually do rapid fire here, but there was one topic that we really wanted to discuss. And um, so we're just going to stick to this topic. We didn't get to it in the first segment. Um, Chris Letang, uh, if you remember, guys, right before the Winter Classic, he did have an injury, but he also left the team because news had come out uh, that his father had passed away. Um, The Pens just wrapped up a long 10-game road trip, and they were supposed to be heading home and, and players just like anybody else, if you're on, on the road for a long period of time, are looking forward to going home. But they decided to change that up and head to Montreal to be there for their teammate and to head to the funeral for Chris Letang's father. They did this while sacrificing rest. They ended up getting into Montreal 4 a.m. and the funeral was that morning. They did this uh, with the help of the team who had to do a lot of things just logistically to, to make this happen, they had to have someone in their uh, organization fly with a box of all the players' passports because they weren't preparing to cross a border and now they had to. Um, and to, to be there for their teammate, Chris Letang. I don't know about you guys. This is one of those times where 
it feels like I was chopping onions as I was reading this story on The Athletic. Your thoughts on something like this? And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about athletes being people. This is this is a perfect example of it, isn't it, Jesse? Yeah. What what an awesome story. Um, not I mean, and, and like the players deserve a ton of credit for for being willing to do it. But like you mentioned, there's a lot of work going on, not just uh, obviously the, the box of the sports is a crazy it's a whole hockey team. Yeah. yeah. But but like the like I talked to the guy on the Golden Knights that books all these hotels and flights and everything like it is a lot of work. And that's when you're planning it months in advance, when you know the schedule way in advance to do that last minute like that was probably not easy. Um, I'm sure it meant the world to Latang. Um, that is such a cool story. Um, it's I, I kind of saw it with with. Alex Petrangelo dealing with his daughter's illness, and luckily she's getting a lot better recently. But he missed some time, and just just seeing how hockey players um, they, they they're just as close as as like real family. Like it, it's so cool to see how they support each other um, in 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 tough times away from the rink. You see how quickly things go. We we talked a lot about it with um, the Hamlin thing and the Bills last week. Like it. You quickly realize how insignificant some a win or a loss is um, when things happen outside of of sports, and and I think when when those things happen, hockey players do a really really good job of sticking together and and, and helping their teammate. Um, that was it, it was such a cool story to read. A lot a lot went into it, and and I'm sure it was well worth it for Latang. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it says everything about that organization and the and the players in that organization. Obviously, Crosby, Malkin, all, all the leaders. Um, on that team, you know, I mean, that's the one thing like the wild are having a, uh, and I know I keep, always keep on bringing the, the wild, but they're having their father son trip, their guest special guest trip next week as well. And I think that's something that, you know, what is really cool that all these teams do. So also players get to meet, you know, who, where their play, where their teammates came from. So, you know, over the years, don't think that, you know, Crystal Tang's dad was an integral part of just that whole fabric of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it says um, everything about, about, um, I think that organization, other teams have done this in the past, but that was, you know, as Rob was telling us during the break too, you know, somebody bringing a box of passports to Phoenix because it was an American trip to, to get it over there. Um, and, and I think it is another, again, reality check for all of us, uh, media and fans alike to always understand that these guys are human beings and we never know what's going on away from the rink. You know, I cover a team right now, then the last week. Okay. Um, two coaches, father-in-laws died. The, uh, GM's father-in-law died. One of their star defensemen's grandmother died. And one of their players, closest friend in the world died all in the last week and nobody really knows that but yet these guys are playing through it and coaching through it and i think it's again a reminder that none of us understand when we're watching a hockey game why somebody might be not focused or not playing well or something like that and i just think it's another good example of for all of us to realize that these are humans here here and it just was a story i really want to bring up because it just uh you know they always say that i don't know what the old saying is but when someone in your family dies, you find out who your true friends are. And you, as you mentioned, I'm sure that meant the absolute world to Chris Letang. Um, boys, what are we working on? Russo, I want to start with you because I saw your, your pictures from inside the, uh, the situation room. And I'm really looking forward to that because it, the, the situation room has evolved over the years yeah. to what we've seen now. So I'm looking forward to seeing you know, wh- where we stand and how everything gets broken down. Yeah, um, you know, now they have a retired ref in there. They've done that for two or three years. So the night that I was in there, Bill McCurry, but you have these supervisors throughout the National Hockey League and they rotate, rotate in and out of there. 
throughout the season. And it what it their their strive is to get better consistency is you have somebody that's been playing the game and then you have the you know you have 11 loggers seven of them have worked there for nine years so they've seen it all you have um rod posma uh kay whitmore and um coley campbell campbell chris king and they're all the time uh, mike murphy who's one of our guests uh, next week on next week's athletic hockey show he just retired but he basically built that um situation room with with uh coley campbell and so um you know i was in within there five minutes uh there was an overturn goal in the Vancouver and Winnipeg game where Bo Horvat was offside by about a foot and a half on a Mikhaev goal. And what I found interesting, guys, is that um, the way the process works is that as when any goal happens, whoever's logging that game will yell out, you know, goal Vancouver. And before there could be even a challenge or they have to look at the goal, the logger is looking to see if it's offsides or potential goalie interference, a high stick or whatever, that the goal was put in with it with a, you know, in a legal fashion. And this logger, Paul, that was doing the Vancouver game right away alerted everybody, hey, I, we might have a challenge here. There's no doubt that Bo Horvat is offside. Then at that exact moment, that's the video goal judge from Winnipeg actually piped in and said, hey, just to let you know, I'm seeing offsides here. We might have a coach's challenge. And within 30 seconds before that linesman even got to that microphone in the penalty box, they knew that play was offside. And that's why the review took two seconds. Um, I could tell you that there were... Uh, lots of different colorful things that happened in the eight games that I watched in there that day. This story will run toward the ends of the month. Um, they also do stuff. They log every event of every game. They're also doing special things right now by log by watching when goalies are intentionally or unintentionally knocking the net off the moorings because they're trying to they're trying to improve that and see if there's also a trend going on and also why fights are starting. They're very concerned right now with what they feel is a trend of fights starting after clean hits, which all of us see. And they're going to bring these clips down to the GMs meetings to see if there's anything the GMs want to do. So it's going to be a really good story. It'll run later this month. And then the other story that I'm working on right now is another A1 story on intermissions and what it's like to be in an NHL locker room during intermission and uh, lots of cool uh, anecdotes that will be in that story and that'll run late next week. Jesse, what do you got coming down the pipe? Man, that is fascinating stuff. I can't wait to read it. Um, that, I, I feel like I learned stuff just hearing you tease it just now. I can't wait to yeah. uh, see what we find yeah. out in the story. Um, I, I've So my Marty Brodeur NHL 99 piece is running this week. Um, I'm super pumped about that one coming out. And then I also have a little project that I'm working on. I think it'll be out later this week, if not early next week, um, with Sean Gentili and Shana Goldman. Uh, I, I have brought them together to help me vote on goalie mask power rankings. We are ranking the best goalie masks in the NHL. Uh, I feel like there's going to be some some uh, hot takes in there. Some, some fans probably won't agree with us, but uh, I'm excited about ranking the best masks in the NHL. You guys, you guys know me. I love my goalie gear. I was going to say, this is such a shocking story from Jesse Granger. Yeah. <laughs> Brodeur and goalie masks. Yeah, I've... I've I, I'm very lucky. I get, I get to write about the things I'm passionate about. And you get paid for it. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be sure to all that. We're going to be uh, and we'll talk about it when when those stories come out. So thanks, boys. We will see you next week. But before we go, I want to let everybody know what I tell them every single week. Uh, you can get an annual subscription right now to The Athletic. Just two bucks a month um, for a year when you head to theathletic.com slash hockey show. And you can subscribe to The Athletic's NHL uh, YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Athletic Hockey Show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. I want to say thanks once again to Anthony and Chris Stewart. For Jesse and Russo, we'll be back next week. Mike Murphy, as Russo mentioned, is going to be our uh, guest talking about the Situation Room 
People love it. People hate it. We'll get ourselves in that room and find out more about it. So we'll see you next week. Talk to you soon.